From WNYC, this is Money Talking. I'm Charlie Herman. The CEO of PepsiCo, Indra Nui, announced this week that she is stepping down after leading that company for 12 years. And this got a lot of people's attention because with her departure, that leaves only 24 female CEOs at companies in the S&P 500. That's right, just 24. Nui talked to Freakonomics earlier this year about the challenges of getting women into top positions. How are we going to attract women to the workforce where we need them, but allow them to balance having a family and still allow them to contribute productively to the workforce? Don't have an answer to that. It's going to be a concerted effort on the part of governments, societies, families, companies, all of us coming together. And despite such efforts to champion and promote women to leadership roles in companies, compared to last year, the number of female CEOs actually declined. And for women of color, it's even worse. Well, joining me to talk about this is Sheila Kohatkar, who recently wrote about Nui and the case of the vanishing female CEO for The New Yorker. Hi, Sheila. Hey, Charlie. So first, let's just take a moment to talk about Nui's tenure at PepsiCo. What did she accomplish and and how is the company positioned with her departure? She became CEO at actually a really challenging moment for the company. Uh, She took over in 2006. Right away, she faced the financial crisis. Then there was a big backlash against unhealthy sugary soda like Pepsi. So she really tried to diversify the company, bring in healthier product offerings, make it a little more of a, a responsible corporate citizen. And she achieved a lot of success doing this. Revenue almost doubled under her tenure. However, there was some controversy around some of the things that she did there. So so that is the specifics of the company. But what people have really been focusing on is not so much that, but her leaving and what this says about really the disappearing female CEO. Big picture, what is happening in corporate America? Well, her comments about her decision to leave were were telling. I thought she said, I would have loved to be replaced by a woman. But the fact is, the board of directors chooses the next CEO, and there were just no women candidates who were in a position to even be considered. Does that make you just like, you know, like fingernails on a chalkboard when you hear that? Uh, it's not an encouraging observation at all, but it, it does not surprise me at all because to put oneself in a position to be considered to run an enormous multinational company like this requires a long, long career. And the fact is that these big companies are not great at cultivating women leaders and keeping them and putting them in to position to take over when these things happen. So often when women CEOs step down, they're replaced by men. So women make up the majority of college grads. They enter the workforce at the same numbers as men. But at some point, there is this drop-off. So that goes to questions like, what are the reasons for that, that you don't have people in the pipeline who can become a future female CEO? It's a huge, long laundry list of reasons, obviously. Now, what happens is often women and men start off in similar positions at companies, but as the years go by and as they progress, the men are paid more, they're promoted more aggressively, they advance faster, and then at some point, the women start to drop out. One of the reasons, of course, is the fact that many of them become uh, mothers, and then due to, you know, policy issues, lack of support at the companies, their own personal choices, they find balancing the two sides too difficult. Uh, There are a lot of other issues too. I mean, companies have really been failing at making the most of their female employees. They have a real problem retaining talented women. Uh, A lot of people feel they don't do enough to groom them, to mentor them, to give them high-profile opportunities. Ms. Nui made an interesting comment about how You know, it was really important for companies to find ways to groom senior women leaders that perhaps didn't involve so much overseas work, because the fact is a lot of these jobs, you need to spend long periods of time in Europe or in Asia learning that part of the business. 
And many of these women executives have husbands, and it's not so easy for them to move. So that's another issue. There's also an issue here with, in the workplace, the way that this problem is perceived. What do the studies find about this? Well, one study had this really interesting point about how a lot of men in the workforce, they see a couple of women there or a couple of people of color for that matter, and then they think diversity is not a problem at their company. And the fact is, what we see when we look at this closely is that men and women just see the matter completely differently. And um, that ends up having an effect on, on the promotion of women. Well, the fact is, this is a problem that both men and women need to work on and solve together. There is no way for women on their own to address the gender diversity gap in the workforce. Men need to be on board and actively participating. And in order for that to happen, they need to sort of recognize that there is a problem here and then have the will and the incentives to make changes that might help mitigate it. And the idea of leaning in, of course, Sheryl Sandberg's book, where does individual responsibility come into all of this? Women, of course, bear some of the responsibility for this, and um, there are always going to be individual women who choose not to pursue the absolutely punishing sort of career commitment that it takes to rise up through the corporate world and become in a position to run a company. However, uh, one of my big issues with Lean In, much as I admired it, was the fact that it did. It seemed to put the whole onus on the women. And I think, as Indra Nui said earlier, this is a societal problem. This is not going to be solved through individual women just making choices that affect them. Companies, men in the workplace, policymakers, the culture at large, we all have to work together to make these changes. It puts too much of the blame on a woman if she succeeds or fails versus looking at structural issues that might be happening. It doesn't acknowledge the many, many structural barriers that women face. So in addition to these questions of fairness and diversity and equality, From a company's point of view, from a bottom line profit and loss point of view, do we have data about how companies perform that are led by women? Well, there are a few different arguments you could make about this. There's the capitalist argument that says that we operate in a globally competitive environment where companies need to have the absolute best people on board at their companies. And if they are really only drawing from one part of the pool, they are losing out. And that's a very strong argument. There's a lot of other data that suggests that companies with more diverse decision makers make better decisions. And there's also the argument that it's just the right thing to do. If you consider the moment that we're in, whether it's Me Too to broader conversations that we're having about gender to even the president and a lot of women are motivated to run for political office right now, are you optimistic or pessimistic about where we're going on this front when it comes to female CEOs? I think the fact that we're talking about this so openly is definitely a good thing. Uh, The big change I'm waiting for is for companies to become a lot more transparent about how they're paying men and women and for companies to make commitments to pay women equally to men and to be transparent about it. And I think that none of these changes will really stick until women are paid the same. Sheila Kahatkar is a staff writer at The New Yorker, where she writes about business and finance. Sheila, thank you very much. Thanks, Charlie. I'm Charlie Herman. This is Money Talking from WNYC. 